welcome to Subject to Talent, brought to you by Allegis Global Solutions. Similar to you, we're always trying to learn more. On this podcast, we speak to workforce and talent experts from around the world, covering market trends, technology, and our ever-evolving dynamic industry. Hi, I'm Bruce Morton, the host of Allegis Global Solutions' Subject to Talent podcast. Today, I'm joined by a very good friend of mine, Jason Ezradi. Jason is the co-founder, chairman, and chief data scientist of Brightfield, the leading augmented analytics company powering the economics of digital transformation in the new world of work. At Brightfield, Jason leads development efforts on workflow impacting machine learning products with the Talent Data Exchange, some of you may know as TDX, the world's largest contingent workforce data consortium. Jason, welcome. Thank you, Bruce. Pleasure to be here. Great to speak to you today. So, Jason, we always ask our guests the same first question. So here we go. Uh, How did you get into the workforce industry and what was your journey to where you are today? Uh, For sure, I got into the workforce industry by accident. Um, It was not a plotted path. Um, My career began in science, uh, which led me to creating a, a biotech startup. Um, That led me into a strategy consultancy that also had uh, a lot of software development that was going on on behalf of clients. Um, And when that folded uh, amidst the dot-com craze in 2001, um, about 11 of my colleagues went to a VMS company and um, they lured me over there. So I was was brought over there because uh, everyone was looking for a job after September 11th here in New York. And uh, that's the one that found me. Oh, wow. And you've enjoyed it ever since. And I've enjoyed it ever since. Uh, It was about a year into that job that I realized that we were doing more than just saving 10% um, on someone's labor budget, but we were actually creating the architecture and the fabric for what will become the future of work. The idea that... um, that, that, that work can be portioned out in the same way that other things were being purchased on a catalog at the time, seeming revolutionary, oh, uh, yeah. just seemed like an obvious future. Great. So in case our listeners don't know, uh, Allegis, we've had a long relationship with Brightfield, and we recently announced an expanded partnership. Um, we, were, we were named as your Brightfield's first platinum MSP partner. We'll talk a little bit about that later on. But first, can you introduce our listeners to the Bradford organization, who you are, what you do, and the evolution of the company? Yeah, thank you. Uh, in, in 2006, Christopher Minnick and I started Brightfield Strategies, then a consultancy. Um, and our job was to help companies not just save some money on their contingent labor, but try to figure out why did they have contingent workers in the first place? Uh, was it the same reason in one country versus another? And um, really getting down to uh, not just the quantification of the contingent workforce, but but also the strategic and, and underlying policy issues. Um, as we realized that this was more and more of a, an analytics uh, need in this marketplace, that there were others that were able to satisfy a variety of the needs. But what, what it really needed was uh, a best practice in how to calculate, quantify, and ultimately aggregate data. If we're going to create a marketplace where there's any degree of sameness, uh, we can make claims about what is typical uh, in a given phenomenon, whether it's bill rates, whether it's how long it takes to find someone, um, that that's going to be what's what's most special. And that's when we dropped the strategies from our name and just became Brightfield hmm. uh, and decidedly more positioned um, as, as workforce intelligence as a product company, uh, as opposed to a services company. 
Right. And then so as you made that transition, obviously a couple of buzzwords, but I'll throw them in here, let you respond to the AI and the machine learning. And how is that impacting the usefulness of data, if I may put it that way? When it comes to aggregating data that was not meant to be aggregated in the first place, you have to help it to conform. Hmm. Uh, if you don't have sameness amongst the parts, then um, any of the math that you do is going to be in inherently filled with, with error. So the first reason that we need AI is to be able to declare which of these types of work transactions are, are same or similar and to what degree, how and why. Um, and so that was really the, the first piece uh, to be able to do that better than a group of people would do if they sat around looking at requisitions one at a time right. uh, to be able to automate that, uh, not just to make it faster, but to, to make it better and more specific. All the details that a group of people would never otherwise be able to keep in their heads let alone across all of those roles. Um, then beyond that, uh, trying to uh, figure out what are the patterns in the market, not just what are the pieces in the market, but what are the patterns of the market? Uh, what is it that makes a job uh, close faster? What is it that make rates go uh, higher in, in certain situations than others? Uh, and then increasingly, what is it that makes a buyer behave the way that they do um, versus uh, versus something someplace different or someplace better? Um, so AI is, is at the heart of uh, any uh, data set that is this complex, this multifaceted, and frankly, this fuzzy. Right. I like that term. All this data was never meant to be aggregated. <laughs> That's why it all right. started in different places. Yeah. Um, and talking about predictability, um, and I'm not sure that any of us would have predicted the way the economy has bounced back in our world that we live in. Uh, the amount of organizations that are hiring and the shortage from talent and so on. But as companies are bouncing back or needing to bounce back so, so quickly, um, the demand for talent is obviously um, front, front of mind for everybody um, and far more, uh, far more greater demand than anybody possibly anticipated. So in that landscape of contingent labor that's being dramatically reshaped in a way by this massive uptick, can you talk about how workforce intelligence and all the work that you're doing is actually playing a role in helping companies move on from that um, rabbit in the headlights panic moment to actually start to adjust and remain competitive and, and you know, staffed in this marketplace? Absolutely. Uh, I mean, importantly, the reasons why workforce intelligence is important now are the very same reasons as it was important um, the months prior to COVID. Um, it's just COVID made it that much more relevant, that much more urgent, um, that much more critical. And so it's the ability to uh, understand what is the nature of the environment that you're trying to acquire labor within. Um, if you underprice your labor, it's going to be hard to find talent, let alone good talent. Uh, if you overprice your labor, you're wasting resources that could otherwise be spent elsewhere, whether it's more talent uh, better talent, uh, whatever that that may be. Um, many of our customers uh, have been dealing with both problems simultaneously, uh, where there's a, a a need to find cash, uh, with you know savings, uh, but at the same time uh, a need to uh, spend more to find better talent. Uh, so finding that balance of uh, how do you execute on that? Well, that that's with with workforce intelligence because that's what enables you to put things under the microscope so you can see those types of opportunities um, distinctly. Um, it's, not a, it's not a one size fits all type of situation. 
Right, and there's a lot of talk now of this talent con- talent anywhere concept. Um, and I guess, well, I know, but I'll just bring the point up that, you know, pre-COVID it was, okay, I need to know what a developer is going to cost me in Palo Alto zip code. And now, of course, it's as you can hire anywhere. That must have really exploded the requests that you're getting from your clients. Yeah, as well as the need to understand what does that do to the economics. Uh, So on one hand, it just opens up that you have a greater pipeline. You have a a, a fatter pipeline that your talent uh, can be accessed through. That's very important in and of itself. And to your point, what's, what's driving it. But it also enables you to rethink, you know, what are appropriate economics if you're not paying a mortgage in Palo Alto, um, mm-hmm. It's likely that you can find top talent at a at a rate that's not necessarily as stratospheric. Um, and importantly, those types of companies, you know, your Palo Alto type of companies, um, they're not just looking to pay average. You know, their question is, you know, what's top quartile? Right. And so, being able to have that kind of resolution of the of the market to say uh, not just fiftieth percentile, but a seventy fifth percentile, and why that matters, and then how does that compare to rest of country? Uh, 75th percentile so that you are still an attractant. Um, that's all about workforce intelligence. Yeah. So it's, as you said, it's not just about cost savings. It's where is the best talent? How can I get to them? What's it going to cost me to get to them? And how are organizations thinking about that? What type of talent they should be bringing in, whether they should be bringing them under a, you know, a typical contract staff org type arrangement where they're paying them on an hourly or daily versus bundling up pieces of work and, putting a price label on them. How does the workforce intelligence help um, navigate that maze? Well, uh, our our role is to, uh, first and foremost, quantify the trade-offs. So if you're saying, I'm going to go an SOW channel because I can have better predictability of the level of quality, I have better predictability uh, that I have an account manager that I have a relationship with. And if I have issues, I, I know who I'm complaining to and what I'm complaining to them about. They'll take on more of those headaches. And as long as you know what that premium costs you and you're prepared to pay that, then, then it's fine. So our job in that kind of a case would be to present what should you be expecting and what ought that cost uh, as, as one example. So at, at, at the primary basis, just what are the trade-offs and, and are you, a, are, are you in line with, uh, what those trade-offs are in, in your buying environment? Uh, from there, it's also making sure that, you know, people are actually thinking about all of their alternatives, especially a lot of the new alternatives. Um, once they realize that there's better alternatives than their traditional conventional way of thinking, um, if you can actually get them to an optimal path and, and present them more alternatives, um, then I think you're, you're in the, the right sourcing game. Uh, otherwise, you're just policing activity. Right. And putting your scientific brain on the data that you're seeing, um, the impact of COVID on certain skill sets and certain ma- markets, I guess, as well as ge- geographies. What are some of those trends that you're seeing that you know, are more than just a blip. And we can start using the data, not just to respond to the market conditions, but to actually start predicting the market conditions in a way. Yeah. Um, so I guess, you know, some of the obvious things, um, you know, that there's twice as many contingent nurses um, in that status uh, in, in, in the United States uh, than there were a year ago. Uh, there's those types of things that, you know, make sense, align with, with expectations, uh, what's happening to healthcare rates in general, um, what we saw in, um, contingent worker demand at the factory floors, 
at each of those predictable stages uh, around the pandemic. All of those things mm. uh, were true. Some of the things that were a bit more surprising is actually the pay rate impacts to those contract workers were not necessarily the same uh, in line with, with all of those um, increases in demand uh, that was not necessarily seen the same way as it was seen um, in, in IT and, and in healthcare. The other thing is uh, the the actual market data does not, you know, necessarily always tell the exact same story as what you see in the headlines. Mm. Uh, what you're seeing in the headlines is what's then you know very exciting and and compelling of that moment. Uh, as the market then comes back down to normal, there's no follow up headline to say, and now it's back down to normal. <laughs> That's just not as exciting. Uh, and so when we see, oh, that was really a Q1 phenomenon. That was something about March, uh -huh. and now things are really coming back to normal. And so really what we're seeing is as of today, we're seeing pre-pandemic kind of levels of demand uh, having returned and uh, sort of coming back to a, to a normalcy in terms of demand. It's not to say that we haven't seen sustained impacts to, to prices, to, to bill rates, uh, but a lot of the demand uh, factors across the board have come back to normal, where it's staying the same as healthcare and IT. Right, okay. And just to bring all of this to life, um, this is great information. Um, can you give one, two or three, a few examples of where clients have got on board with Brightfield, you know, some of those early adopters and what value they've seen over, the, over that time period and how organizations are truly understanding to get everything they possibly can out of your services? Yeah, my, my favorite stories, um, you know, happen in each of the stages of, of maturation. So uh, it's first and foremost, um, here's uh, three roles that we were really calling one role and being able to use our product to see those patterns and help them split out and that they each have their own separate levels of metrics that present different challenges and opportunities to be addressed. They're certainly uh, often very differently priced. Um, and have different supplier opportunities. So that's all at phase one of just uh, where we calling the workers something too broad that made it so that we were unable to really understand what their differences are at a metric level and how they compare to market to right. find those opportunities. So that's just at, at, at step one. Um, beyond that, getting you know more interesting, answering some of the workforce decisioning questions that you raised before. Uh, well, here's someone that started on an SOW. Um, was that the the most correct path or was that violating policy uh, for this to be an SOW worker? So uh, then taking customers through the automatic identification of which SOWs were misclassified and presented opportunities for uh, bringing in a staff org worker uh, or, or otherwise finding other forms of, of better contracting and likely savings. Um, and then ultimately, you know, as, as they go through the full spectrum, uh, we're now also uh, showing how things feel better. Uh, so it's not just finding the best rate, um, but finding the best rate at the ideal level of fill, because that's really the question that people are asking and always will be asking. Um, I need to find talent. Uh, it's not just about what will I be paying for it, but set all of my expectations around it so I can I can solve that equation. And is that looking at the the labor, the sort of market demand versus supply by locations that the way you get into that information? Or is it watching trends of hotspots to avoid or because there's a wage hike, 
or an hourly rate hike. It, it can be. And, and the flip side of that, especially, you know, to your earlier point of work from anywhere, mm. um, to see that you're not constrained to these markets that have lower supply, high demand, higher rates, um, that you can you can take advantage of uh, parts of uh, the market in, in a given country that don't have all those constraints. Right. But one thing I know that you're very passionate about is the concept of a bell curve as we think about market rate versus one point of medium. Um, can you just share to the audience why that's important and just explain what, what, what I just meant, but what you mean by it? <laughs> yeah, uh, the, the, it's the old plus minus. Uh, so, you know, when, when we talk in averages or, or even medians, when we think about these types of statistics, um, we forget that even within a given business unit of one given buying customer, um, they have radically different bill rates sometimes that, that, uh, that, that create you know, dots along a distribution of different rates. And so we might say the average is $67 and 15 cents. Uh, and then we think it has that kind of laser beam precision. Uh, but really what's happening is to, you know, to your point and, you know, many, many times that shape will look like a, like a bell curve. And the better we understand what are the things that push, uh, points to, to one side of that bell curve or, or another, uh, the better that we can bring intelligence to workforce decisioning. Uh, some of those things just describe things like skills, which skills are, you know, north or south of, of a given median and therefore it should adjust how we think about the cost of a given role. But other things that are, you know, in, in our, um, in our ability to change things like source type. Should I be thinking about one source type versus another? Uh, should I be thinking about one supplier versus another, one location versus another? Uh, all things that, you know, you have in your control. Yeah, that's great. And I think that's why we're so excited about our platinum partnership, understanding how to actually read the data, read into the data, then make advice based on the data, but taking other things into account, right? Uh, and the impact of, you know, if you drop the rate by $5 an hour, what does that really do to attrition and to quality? Um, so it's, so it's, it, I love the fact that even though AI, machine learning, data has come so far. So is that the way you see that through the same lens? Uh, absolutely. Um, no matter how good um, the quantified answer is, um, there is always going to be degrees of change management in something that is so essentially human. Um, this is uh, re regarding not just people and buying behaviors of people, but also the work, uh, the working behaviors and hiring behaviors of people and, and what does compensation mean to people. So there's no question that there is a, a human element of that um, and, and a change management element of that. The types of things that, that we will look at um, and, and test and we say, OK, uh, instead of instead of instead of X, do Y. Right? Don't, don't have that policy anymore. Lift that restriction Someone uh, has to bring the change about then that it's not just about calculating prospectively what that impact might be. There's a, a massive amount of execution and change management. Right. And, and a slight tangent, but I'd just like you to share with the audience that um, one, one thing we're very proud of, I think both organizations through our partnership, the um, technology that we've created to give us the ability to read statements of work at speed, to be able to analyze them, to answer some of those points you're making earlier about this data was never meant to be aggregated. That's why it's come from a different starting point. Can you just share from your lens how that tool has helped both organizations, but to get to that data quicker and to make sense of it? Yeah, uh, and it's, it's an exciting time uh, to be in the world of natural language processing because 
it's one of those areas where advancements happen very quickly still. Um, and so what that means for us is, uh, you know, this is not only uh, a, a type of data that wasn't originally thought of as being aggregated, but wasn't even originally thought of as being structured. They're just words on a page. So to first be able to say what words are on this page and with what visual patterns do they have in order to then say, okay, when we see these words this way, we know it means something. We know that's the start date of a given contract. We know that they're talking about um, a supplier name uh, at that particular point or, or whatever. And so we, we are able to extract um, at this point over a hundred different fields uh, that are in various contracts and then you can look at them uh, in a database and start to you know understand what is that buying um, over time, how does it separate by group, what are the supplier impacts uh, when, when looking at how different groups are buying similar things, um, etc. Even just at a first one, you know, just, just first step of basic visibility. Mm. It's, in, it's incredibly informative. Um, and then you finally have a base to ask business questions. Um, which of these contracts could have been done differently and what would that have meant? And I guess historically that work is obviously either done by humans or I experience a lot of cases, it just isn't done. Nobody's actually going back and reading those things, right? That, that's exactly right. Everyone knows it's a, it's a good idea. Everyone knows it's something that should be done. And um, it was a, a relatively few companies that had enough urgency on it to apply the manual labor right. to get it done. Um, so um, the bringing automation to this world uh, helps the 20 as well as the 80 uh, in, in that equation. Okay, so uh, as we start to wrap up here, I think my favorite quote for today was, and it's, it's an exciting time to be in natural language processing. So thank you for that. <laughs> I will try and use that later in the day. Um, but you can actually outdo yourself here by another quote. By, so um, it's the crystal ball time. So if we would give you a crystal ball and pick a moment in, t in the future, and you know, you make that decision how far out you want to go. But if you're looking at that crystal ball, um, you know, what does the future of our industry look like with all of this phenomenal AI machine learning that we're doing now? How, when all this starts to really bear fruit, what, how do you see the future? Well, I, I, I don't know. Um, I think the harder part for me is going to say the when than the what. So I don't know how far forward I want to look. But as as a as as a student of of the history of technology and seeing you know which ideas that were possible actually happened and which, which things stayed the same, um, I think the part that drives the sense of the future for me is the, is the fact that the stigma of contingent workforce. Um, that that label, the non-employee label is no longer as stigmatized as, as it was. In fact, I don't really hear it talked about in that way any longer. That for me is more important than any piece of technology mm. to be able to then say, I see the great normalization of contingent workers and we won't use that word. And uh, it'll become about the Hollywood model that the best actors and actresses and directors don't want to be in any contract that binds them away from being able to do their, their life's greatest work. Right. Uh, it's the, it's, I forget who said this first, but it's the way Michelangelo uh, you know, got all of his work. He's a contingent worker. He, he did contract work. <laughs> so uh, you know, it, it, I, I think that that's you know, what happens. And so how AI plays into that is being able to find ever greater you know, aspects of fit between the parties. Helping, helping those who 
raise their requisitions as hiring managers and project managers, do that ever better to, to say the right things that actually impact the work they're trying to get done, not just trying to get around policy. Um, and then on the flip side, the same thing, helping um, those candidates and teams and, and, and suppliers uh, organize themselves around those opportunities in, in ever smarter ways. Uh, right now, I think we can be polite and say that a lot of the negotiation feels like, you know, blind liars poker. Um, so being able to bring, you know, more intelligence to that where they're actually talking about the solution and then it's a best solution wins, uh, in light of best price. Um, not, not just a lot of negotiating and then trying to solution to budget after the fact. I love that. And if we can stop calling those workers contingent, perhaps we'll stop calling employees permanent. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then I think we'll see the, the, those numbers come down. Yeah. Um, I, I think that there is a, a greater chance for, for contingent. I also think that, you know, we'll see a, a concept of a longer term contingency. Um, of course, you know, what would get in the way of, uh, of these types of things might be politics. But uh, I, I guess my, my, my bottom line is uh, I think we are we are now at the inflection point of the great normalization of contingency. Right. Great. Well, that's a great point to end on a very positive note. So thank you for that. Um, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, where should our listeners go if they want to hear more about Brightfield? Uh, Brightfield.com. Uh, I think uh, there's a number of great um, marketing, uh, market research reports. Of course, a lot of great marketing as well. Uh, <laughs> but there's also a slice of, uh, of yeah. blog resources and other market report resources uh, that will give more details to some of the things I've been saying. Great. Thank you, Jason. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks again. Thank you, Bruce. And thank you for your partnership. It's been an honor. To learn more about AGS, please check us out at AllegisGlobalSolutions.com. You can also send questions for me or our guests. Just tweet us here at AllegisGlobal with the hashtag SubjectToTalent or email us at SubjectToTalent at AllegisGlobalSolutions.com. And if you enjoyed our podcast today, please subscribe, rate us, and leave a review. Until next time, cheers. Cheers.